All right, praise God. And the beautiful thing we know is even a few people come up here, there's a lot of stuff going on in many of our lives that we might just not be at the place we want to share with a hundred plus people, but we, we thankful that God is moving on that note. Um, in your bulletins, you should see, um, a form that we gave out last week talking about the season of seeking God together in prayer. And we're doing this for through three weeks. This fat past week was our first week. Then we're going to enter in our second week starting today where each day, um, we're just praying for the same topics each week on that particular day. You can see it listed there. Um, take this home with you today and pray whatever's listed. We believe in the power of prayer, not just as a meditation technique or again last week um i think some of the kids they only stopped listening at a certain point and they heard god's a pinata and you just got to keep hitting them um we the the illustration goes it's he's not just a pinata um but it's a means to know god and to seek him so i would encourage you take this home put it where most prominent in your home whether maybe a mirror maybe on the fridge somewhere maybe inside of a book your bible so that you can look at this and pray each day for whatever's listed to know other people in the church are praying together in the same way that you are and uh we believe we're seeking god together in those things and last week we uh, entered that subject with this a new series for three weeks that we're doing called substance and we call it substance because we're looking at what are some of the prime things that make up who we are as we seek to follow jesus what are some of the substance that comes together to form that and so last week we looked at prayer today we're going to be looking at the word of god and i'm excited that I, want, I want to introduce our brother mike parks to come up here he's going to be delivering the word for us yeah yeah um, for those of you who have not had the, the pleasure to meet Mike and Ashley and their, uh, their children, their family, they've been walking with us since the summertime coming from Columbus, Ohio, and just bring, um, wealth of experience ministry. But I think even more than that, just a heart to want to see God, to want to, uh, have a passion for people and God's mission. So we're really blessed that they're walking with us. And, and blessed particularly that uh, we have brothers like Mike who have a passion for preaching the word and we get to benefit from that. So let me pray. <laughs> let me pray. Heavenly Father, um, what a joy it is to come together. And as I look out on this room and see so many different people and the wonder of it, we're coming from so many different places and some of we have no clue. But in the midst of it all, you're faithful to us individually but also corporately. You don't give up on us. As much as sometimes we give you reason to, you don't give up. And you give us these gifts of grace like coming together. We give, you give us these things like your word, the preaching of your word, that we might be blessed, that our hearts might be opened up to your grace that much more. So right now as we hear your word, we pray for our brother here that you would fill him with your spirit and give us hungry, open, available, teachable hearts, Lord, to take in whatever you want us to hear. So we love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Dan. So it is a privilege to be here. I am a native of Maryland, and I've just come back to the land of milk and honey. So we are living in Catonsville now, bounced around a little bit, was Southern Maryland, did grab the cup, grab some degrees in North Carolina, planted a church in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and now we're back. So thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to preach this morning. And as I was thinking about preaching on the Word of God, what I began thinking about was a illustri- uh, brief illustration just to open up with. So if you give me your uh, mind's eye, I want to paint a little Bob Ross picture for you. You ready? So let's do a little Bob Ross painting. So imagine being eight years old and you have parents 
These, your parents are like intellectual whips, Ivy League students, and they discover, they do this little research, and they're like, all smart kids play piano. That's what they've concluded. I don't know how many people play piano in here. But they've decided this, and they've decided to just put you in piano lessons. But they don't tell you anything. They just say, you need to be smart, go play piano. So you go to your lesson, and you learn your little lesson, then you come home, and you're in front of the keyboard, and imagine your little fingers at eight. They're cramped up. They're bad, they're hurting, you can't get your hands around the keys, but yet, on the outside, what makes it worse is, you know, your boys are outside taunting you. They're like, ha ha, you're in there playing piano while we're outside playing. What happens to your motivation? Zapped. You got zero. You don't have any motivation for it. Now let's flip the script. Your parents meet this young man named Ethan that goes to the village church, right? And Ethan's like, let me show you how to play piano. And he plays this beautiful, beautiful solo. And you're inspired. And that inspiration, all of a sudden, you're like, wow, this is great. He turns it into a game. And then when you go home and you sit in front of the piano, the next time, what happens? you got a little more motivation. Your friends are taunting you. Yeah, there's a little tug there. But you know what? That tug isn't as great. Because you know what? There's an end goal in sight all of a sudden. And when there's an end goal in sight... It reorients everything. And let me tell you, I think too often I've seen Christians that approach a Christian life with the first scenario. God is dredging. It's a drudgery walk. Or if you're a non-Christian in the room and you see on the outside looking in, you may think the same thing. This looks pretty lame. But it's not like that. Unlike this kid, God reveals himself. And he provides us direction. Not only what what to think about him, but how to live life. And here's the question we are going to look through this morning. That God is not silent. He is not silent. But the question that we have before us is, will you listen? I'll repeat, because it's going to keep repeating. Will you listen? So let's look at our first point here, that God reveals himself to all mankind. This is what we call general. It's general. All people know this about God, right? We're going to look at Psalm 19. So if you have a Bible you want to turn there, we're going to look at Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The text should also be up on the board. Uh, Yeah, right there on the screen. So I'll give you a moment to turn. And let's look at this text together because it's a beautiful unfolding of how God reveals himself. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out and through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. We can clearly see in the text that God is revealing Himself through creation. That everything we know about God is revealed. Everything that we know has been revealed by God. We think we make discoveries, but it is God's grace that shows us everything that we know. Right? But what happens when we look at creation... What should we see? We should see, ultimately, we should see God's strength, right? 
We should see His power in creation. We should see His majesty, His order, that He is an intelligent designer so that we can headlong into science and see the Creator within it. And all of this, as the text declares, is pointing us to the glory of God. Right? This is often in Christian circles, it becomes a cliche. Right? Have you guys heard it? I know you have. Like talking to each other. Oh, to the glory of God, brother. To the glory of God, sister. Or you look at the Hallmark card and what's on the cover of it. Glory with this little beautiful scenery on it. Right? Or even for those that like John Piper, you Piper writes. You know, he uses the phrase, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Right? But a lot of times we don't define it. And ultimately... All of this is speaking to God's glory in creation. The glory of God is His weightiness, is what it is. The heaviness of who He is. And that's why it says the heavens are declaring the glory of God. All the stars in the sky, right? God knows every hair on your head. He knows when you stand. He knows when you sit. He knows when you speak. He knows every prayer within this room simultaneously. Yet He upholds all galaxies, all things, the moon, the star, the sun, the sky. And yet, He is very present with us now and every day. But you know what we do? We get it all mixed up, right? How does it, how does it work? In our lives, let me roll it back to daily living. So daily living... When we step outside and we see the star, star-filled sky, what do we usually do? We just keep on rolling. Or if you're in Baltimore, sometimes you've got to get outside because you see the smog. But that's another story. What happens when you see the snow? What's the first thing that pops in your head? Oh, snap, i got to shovel this. <laughs> right? Or when you see the rain, what do you think? Today is Sunday. Man, we can't go outside. It's like almost 70 degrees. <laughs> or you got the other side. When you see the grass grow... Men, women, what do you usually think when the grass is growing in your your yard? i got to cut this junk, right? i got to trim it down. When the sun comes up, all right, i got I got a red beard so I can use this, right? You're ginger, you're like, oh, I'm about to die from the sun. I need some sunscreen, right? That's what happens. Octopus, the birds, we just think, oh, that's kind of odd. But we need to reverse it, right? And when we reverse it, all of a sudden when we see a star-filled sky, we can look up. And here God's saying, look what I behold. Look what I uphold. When we see the snowfall, look at God's beauty and let him hear, hear him say, look at my power. Right? When we see the rain, think about metamorphosis. When we see the grass grow, think about God just daily pouring out. When we see the sun coming up, think of his consistency with us. That he will never leave you nor forsake you. He is there. He is not silent. And when we see the oddity of an octopus, think of his creativity or the birds of the air and how he feeds them. And all of a sudden, this very present God who speaks through creation, this can reorient everything, my friends. Everything from anxiety, stress, worry. All of a sudden, we have a big God and it begins to change the way we approach everything. He's daily involved. He's not the God of the deist. And I'll define it. Like the guy, like the guy that winds up a clock, sits it down, and walks away. Right? He's not that way. He's there. I think Abraham Kuyper's statement should come up on the slides here. 
is just very applicable at this point. Kuiper says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! Or in other words, for some of you that are probably pre-med students, which may be like, you know, a hundred of you, just playing. So, think about this, that there is not a single subatomic particle running around this entire universe that is not under the control of a sovereign God. If there was, he would not be God. And when you can think about the vastness of creation declaring God's glory in that much power, all of a sudden, like I said, it reorients everything. And we have to ask the question again. Since God is not silent and speaking through creation, will you hear Him? Will you hear Him? Next, we can move on and look at how God actually speaks through our conscience. He reveals himself through our conscience. So Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 should be on the screen. Now this is one of those passages I'm going to have to break down. I'll give you a good application. Because Paul is writing in a heading. Even Peter said so. So let's look at this. He says, For when Gentiles, non-Jews, who do not have the law, the law given through Moses, by nature do do what the law requires... They are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the works of the law is written on their heart, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. C.S. Lewis, in his book Mere Christianity, I'm sure some of you have read it in here, he gave an illustration that I think is, that fits into this perfect. When he was talking about the justice of the world, he kept saying the world was unjust. It's unjust, right? But then he, then he says this. He says, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just or unjust? A man does not call a line crook, crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. When, what was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? In other words, where there is a moral law, there is a moral law giver. And God speaks through this, right? Or, let me just bring this back to everyday living for you, right? Monday morning. How many, how many, just show of hands, how many of you out there have a table at work where you have the free food table? Where if you bring in the work, everyone can, everyone can use, eat that food. Anybody? Yeah, all right, good. Then this illustration will help. All right, so imagine you go into work Monday morning and the freaked food table's there. And you grew up and your mom loved to make white macadamia chocolate chip cookies. And you just can't help it because your body craves sweet buttery goodness. And you look at those cookies, but those cookies are not on the free table. Those cookies are over here. They're on the not-free table, right? And what happens in your mind? You look at the cookies, you're like, man, they're legit. I want those cookies. And then you go, but they're not on the table. 
But you know, maybe they should have been on the table. And all of a sudden you begin to banter back and forth. And then finally you say, forget it. I'll eat the cookie. So you grab the cookie and you shove it in your mouth. And what do you do? Of course you're guilty, so you choke it down. You don't even enjoy the cookie. All right? So you're eating the chocolate chip cookie that you shouldn't have eaten, that was on the table, that wasn't on the table that you should have had for free. Well, let's say the next day, your mom baked you a cookie, and you brought it in, and you put it on the table. You actually, you had to run to the restroom. You drop it down, and you walk away. But then when you come back, what happens? Your cookie's gone. And when your cookie's gone, what do you do in place? Oh, you're ready to get loose. You're about to drop some UFC elbows on someone's head. You're about to do the ground and pound. I mean, you are thinking of everything to take them out because they stole your cookie. Now, as silly as it may sound, what just happened in that illustration is what God is revealing to us. You are are being accused and you're excusing your actions simultaneously. No matter if you are a believer in Jesus Christ or you are not, we all live under God's domain. And it doesn't change whether you want to embrace it or not. Your conscience will even convict you of this. But the law is something, this convicting, that is something that we are born with because we are made in the image of God, right? That is this side. But then there's the gospel, we are not born with this in, within us. That is on the other side. That is the good news of Jesus Christ that comes into our lives, that is revealed from heaven, and is the free gift of God's grace for the forgiveness of sins. And through the moral law, God poses the question to us. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? So that's two ways. God's speaking to all mankind revealing himself through creation, through our conscience. But here's a third way that he does it. And he does it through eternity written on our hearts. Or even the area of worship. Right? He speaks to us through the area of worship. Now, our hearts are always turned towards Christ or away from Christ. They're not idle. They're not neutral. They're turned towards Jesus or they're turned away from him. And to help us understand this, we can understand David Powson, uh, he was a biblical counselor, and he helps us understand this by saying that what the Bible calls as spectrums and describes things, we reverse it, right? He simply says there's, the Bible describes powerful people, powerless people, wealthy people, not wealthy people, strong, weak, sick, not sick, young, old. And what we do is we take the, these, all these spectrums and we turn them into a ladder and try to justify ourselves. And this points to, my friends, is it points to this understanding of worship. We take the ladder, and he calls it a ladder to nowhere because we're trying to climb the ladder. We see this everywhere in our society, right? Who's at the top of the ladder? The young. Who's at the bottom? The older. The stronger at the top. The weaker at the bottom. More attractive. Less attractive. Haves, have-nots. And we keep making these ladders. But what this points out to us is that our hearts are longing. Our hearts are longing for worship. 
And it's just revealing that to us. We can look at it also this way, or as Powson continues on, that these ladders, as we go in, and we see at the top of the ladder, we see it every day, we're inundated, right? You go through the, go through the grocery line, what do you see? Cosmopolitan. Men's fitness. You see the perfect picture of what is claimed as beauty, right? But we're hit with it constantly. But if we're constantly seeking these things, we're going to fall short, right? Because what happens with beauty if we stack it at the top of the ladder? It's constantly what? It's fleeting. It runs away. Education. It's a big one, especially if you're in school. You have to always try to attain more in fear of being looked silly. You don't want that to happen. Or money, you always need more. Power, you always, you always have the opportunity to lose it. And when we turn these things into areas where it's identity, our identity, our value, our worth, it speaks of worship. And you know what Jesus does? He comes in and he knocks down the ladder. And he extends out grace He says, come to me. He turns it upside down. So all these factors that we're chasing and longing after in God's economy, none of them justify us. But God comes down, and he is the ladder that lays out. He is the one that clothed himself in humanity as we just celebrated at Christmas. He lived a perfect life. He died a death for sinners. He died the death that we deserved. And He extends His grace out and says, Come to Me, all of you. Come and seek Me and know the goodness of the Gospel. Because in it there is forgiveness of sin. And He extends it out. So for the non-Christian that may not know Christ, I say, take Christ. For you that know Jesus, it simply is, will you hear Him? Will you follow Him? Let's keep moving. So the second point is that God reveals Himself specifically through His Word. Right? So God reveals Himself through His Word. But before we look at that, I'm going to point out something. This book, the Bible, right? We usually pick it up and we're like, oh, it's the Word of God, right? It's the Word of God. This book was comprised over a course of 1,500 years. Let that soak in for a second. 1,500 years. What's the meat age in this room? Maybe 30? Maybe 30? Some of you are probably offended. I probably offended everyone by this statement, except if you're 30. But, so, 1,500 years. So let's say the meat age is 30. Do you know how many lifetimes comprises 1,500 years? Oh my goodness. 1,500 years. Not only that. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, 66 letters altogether, comprised on three different continents, three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, a little sprinkling of Aramaic, and 40 authors. Let that sink into you for a moment. And all with the consistent theme, glory of God and the redemption of mankind. So I thought about this. What would happen if it was the 21st century? Because we have to sometimes get outside of our mindset. Because I'm, I'm afraid there was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. But I bet if there was, 
I could imagine, could you imagine the Apostle Paul taking selfies? He's like, hashtag. He's like, he's like, yo, you know, Abraham was a beast, you know. I mean, I can see it now. But it's not that way. So we don't have that. But uh, we have to take a little, take a little tiptoe through some history, right? And when we tiptoe through history, we can find out the historical Protestants upheld four what they call attributes of Scripture. And we're going to look at those. So the attributes are that God's word is needed. God's word is enough, it is understandable, and it is our final authority. So, we already covered the first part, that God's word is needed beyond what's called general revelation, right? He speaks to us, creation, moral law, eternity on our hearts. But his word is needed beyond that. And we should long and thirst after reading his word because of his goodness. So it's there for salvation, but it's also good for application. How do we now live? But it's also enough. It's infallible. It's fully trustworthy. It's inerrant. Total truth is here. And some of you may need to hear this passage of 2 Timothy 2.3. His divine powers granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Did you catch that? I'm going to read that text again to let it just sink into your soul as the Spirit moves today. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And the question is, do you have a thin Bible or a thick Bible? Will the Word of God in your mind cover what do you, where do you go to when you're worried, when you're stressed out, when you're anxious? Do you turn to the Scripture? Or do you turn to Dr. Phil? Where do you turn, right? You have a thin or thick Bible. <clears throat> but at the same time as I say that, just remember, the Bible does, it doesn't obviously cover all things, right? You're going, a lot of you are going to college to learn stuff that is not laid out. You know, for instance... I'm driving, and I want to get my tires changed. I go to Mr. Tire. When I pull up, you know, the mechanic's not like, oh, snap, what do we do with this car? Where's the gospel center, you know, tire changing? He doesn't flip through like that. It doesn't happen. But what he does is when he reads the Bible, let's say the mechanic reads it, it says it teaches him how to work with integrity, how to uphold, you know, be honest. Don't cheat your clients. It teaches that mechanic everything he needs to know for life and godliness. Or to quote the famous theologian Mick Jagger, um, you can't always get what you want, right? But if you try sometimes, you just might find. That's right. So in Scripture, we got what we need, not to be trite. But that is just the same thing. Mick Jagger kind of nailed it on that one, I have to admit. All right. But it's also understandable. It's very understandable. If you have a challenging time reading, read through some of the Gospels. It's plain. It's there. You can read through, but it's also the final authority. So no human authority is beyond Scripture in this sense. No counsel, no creed, no vision, no dream, no modern prophecy are authoritative with Scripture. I'm not dismissing all of what I just said, but I'm simply saying if you hear that, what is the final authority? It is God's word. And it is to test all those things. And this has been historically 
what has been embraced by Christians. Because God is unchanging. So you go back to His Word. Or as Jude 3 tells us, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It was delivered to us. Or Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is an anchor for our soul. Now, I want to read Psalm 19. It was the opening call to worship today. I want to read that text again. And as I read it, let it just soak into it for a moment. Listen to the richness of these words on Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. Because it gives you contrasting views all the way through, panning back and forth. Starts out. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rule, rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the dripping of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servants warned, and keeping them there is great reward. That is freaking awesome. That is awesome. Talk about reorienting your thinking your entire life, when you come to this and you say, whoa, I'm warned in keeping them, there's great reward. I don't approach the text and try to twist the text to my living. I approach the text the other way. The question is, once again, God is speaking, right? What is it? Are you listening? Do you hear Him? And finally, when I... And end this on growing in the gospel through God's word. This is just the encouragement to get into God's word. Now, what I'm going to give you are just simply some tools, some instruments um, to be not something that's a burden. But what I'm going to give you is something that says this is about a relationship. That is the end. Growing in God's grace, knowing God more and growing in a deeper understanding of who he is and is in a relationship with him. So, first, we need to approach His Word with humility. Yikes! We jump into God's Word with humility. And approaching it with humility, we're stepping in and we're saying, we have a heart ready to receive. Right? Not going in and going, oh, I'm going to rip this apart, and there's going to find all these errors and all that. Now, I'm not saying don't be critical. Be critical. Look at the time, the place, the culture, the surrounding, the location, who wrote it, when they wrote it, all those things. But ultimately, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we come to God's Word and we say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, transform my heart. I want to have ears to hear what you're saying to me. And we're not going on this chase to say, I'm living this way and now I want to twist Scripture to match it. We're going the opposite. We're saying, transform me into the image of your Son through all means whether challenging or whether just greatly joyous. We also can look at something else to get into God's Word. Simply read it. 
I have to ask, how many Bibles do you guys have in your house? How many Bibles do you see all over the place? Right? We got every means of it. We got audio. We got on, on the computer. We got on our phones. We got on our iPads. We got, you know, if you're old school, you probably got a little paper text at the house. Right? We got every means. But this isn't a guilt trip, right? Oh, you bad Christians, you ain't read the word today? Boom. You, you, you know, that's it. It's not that. This is about delighting in God's word. Delighting in the goodness of who Christ is. So ultimately, allow that to motivate you, to motivate your desires, your affections, your longings, and ask God to transform that so that you may grab on to his word and just love him more. Next aspect is simply to memorize his word and to meditate on his word. And meditation, I don't mean emptying out your brain. What I'm saying is fill it up. It's complete opposite. Not emptying myself out to become one with the universe. No, that's not scripture. (laughs) Scripture says fill your mind, not empty out. So meditating on God's word is filling your mind with God's word. Memorize it and take the simple psalm. He is very present in your time of need. That's it. Take that and all the texts that we've been looking at so far. And that will begin to transform your view of everything you come across, if it hasn't already. Next is to pray God's word. Do you ever see yourself in God's word? Oh, if not, I want to challenge you. So we can do one. We can pray God's word, right? Here's, here's an example. Ephesians chapter 1. Thank you that I am a saint. What? Say what? Thank you that I am blessed. Thank you that I am forgiven. Thank you that I am chosen. Thank you that I am predestined. Thank you that I am adopted son and daughter of the Most High. I just hit seven identity markers right in the very beginning of Ephesians. Wow. Right there. If you keep going through, you got go through go through more. You got about twenty. Now, here's another one. Revelation 7, 9. A lot of times, we know this, it's very familiar, that every tribe, tongue, and nation is before the throne of God. And what we usually utilize the passage to talk about God's reconciling power of all people, of all nations, nations, people, tribes. But if you're in Christ, let me add another layer. You are in the text. Did you catch that? When you read that Revelation passage, add another layer. You are in the text because it said all God's people are there before his throne room. This is future grace. And if you're in Christ, as sure as you are in Christ, you are written in the scripture. See yourself in the scripture. Pray back the scripture. And finally, apply God's word. So is there something that you should believe about God? Maybe there's something. Maybe you don't haven't believed that God upholds things the way I've described today. Maybe that would be something you need to transform. Is there something you should praise Him for or pray about? Or simply a decision to be made? Maybe just an attitude adjust? Maybe someone you need to walk across the room and ask for forgiveness for? And finally, or maybe just some, something you need to just put off in your life. But I won't leave you to just put off because that's just harsh. You need to put on something else. You allow the goodness of Christ's grace to drive you to see what you need to put off and then you put on Jesus. And my friends, when you approach it that way, it's going to change a lot of your Christian walk. God's goodness will lead us to repentance. And I will just simply end 
with the same question I began with, but let's reverse it a little bit. The question is not, do you hear him? But will you listen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus. We thank you that you have sent your spirit. Your spirit points us to the gospel, points us to the cross, points us to the forgiven, the finished work of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we thank you that you have paved the way. We thank, thank you that you speak through creation, and you have just spoken through creation our conscience. Lord, we thank you that your word is like honey. Father, we, uh, we love you. And that we ask that you transform each of us into your grace, that we may know you more. But Lord, not just in our heads only, but that we may walk it out, that we may come to delight in you more, and that as a local congregation, we may display your glory, Lord, to the surrounding world, that we may be seen within our own families, within our workplaces, within this local church, and that people will come to know you and your goodness through the village and each life that is, with, that is in this room, Lord. Just thank you and pray all this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Amen.